Psalm 74, a masculine of Asaph. O oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Your foes have roared in the midst of, our, of your meeting place. They set up their own signs for signs. They were like those who swing axes in the forest of trees, and all its carved wood they broke down with hatchets and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. They said to themselves, we will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, and there is none among us who knows how long. So how long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. Yet God, my King, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave us food for the creatures of the waters. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day, yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs, and the foolish people reviles your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beasts. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have regard for the covenant, for the dark places of the land are full of the habitations of violence. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all the day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up continually. Father, we are blessed today to be drawn into your presence. Thank you for the way you speak to us in the deepest need of our heart, the darkest parts of our life. And that's what we need today, God. We need an experience that draws us to your heart and into life with you. Thank you for calling us there. Thank you for welcoming us into that special place, your presence. So here we are, God. Take us and lead us to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and I encourage you to take your Bible and open it with me now to Psalm 74 as we continue our journey through the, through the Psalms. Um, I don't know about you, but... Um, I know that there are times in life when, when, when I personally feel desperate, when I personally feel like um, I have a deep need in my life. And I don't know if, if, if you're like me, um, maybe you've wondered as well at times, you know, where is God? Where is God when, when discouragement comes? 
Asaph was God's worship leader. And in Psalm 74, he comes to that time in his life when, when he's desperate. He's crying out for God. And I don't know, again, if you're like Asaph or if you're like me, but, but we all face these times of discouragement. We all face these times even of destruction when it seems like life is just falling apart. Uh, devastating events and challenging times tempt even the most encouraging person to fall into the, the pit of despair and distress and, and cause us to a point of being downhearted. I remember a surgeon telling me three years ago, Ronnie, you have experienced a devastating injury. Those words just seem to resonate in my life. Uh, and in times like that, we have choices that we have to make. And I remember going through that time of having to make a choice of where my mind was going with that reality. Uh, we can call out to God for relief and for restoration in those kinds of times, or we can run away from God. And we can focus on the pain and focus on spiraling down into despair. Um, few challenges in life are more excruciating than when you suffer some kind of discouragement or some kind of pain in the context of doing ministry. Some of you have been there and some of you have experienced that. You're serving God and yet it seems like somebody just jerks everything out from under you and you just feel distressed and in despair. Uh, it's agonizing. To watch God's kingdom work suffer when we have defeats in the context of serving Him. Last Friday at 5.08 a.m., that's early in the morning, my telephone rang. And I usually uh, get up early, and so that was not a surprise. But it was an 800 number. I didn't recognize the number, and so I didn't answer it. Just a few minutes later, I received a text message from our missionary in Zambia. And he said, that was me trying to call you. And so I immediately texted him back and said, well, call me back. Call me back. I'm ready to talk. And so he called and we talked. And his first comments were about how excited he was that, you know, everything was going very well with building the new church in Maloney. Uh, all the resources had, had uh, arrived and were ready to go into action. But the government had not yet agreed to sign the land over to uh, the church. And so he said then he had some bad news to share. And the bad news was this. The bad news was that in Zambia right now, because of government controls, everything has just come to a halt. Everything's been shut down. Uh, they have been um, attacked by the disease again and, and things are just very discouraging for ministry to take place. And so he was sharing his heart about the need to maybe come back home during this time because he can't go out and do the work that he's called to do, and he can be more effective in working here. And so what do you do in times of discouragement like that? What do you do when you wonder, God, where are you? Well, Psalm 74 is described in the psalm as a mascal. Uh, a mascal is a contemplative psalm. 
It's one that causes us to think. And so I don't know where you are in your physical ability today, but I want to challenge you to join me today in putting on your thinking cap. Let this psalm bring you to the heart of God. Let this psalm bring you to think about what God is saying in discouraging times in life. Um, Now, there's a debate in Psalm 74 and 75 about uh, when the psalm was written, the context of the psalm. Some want to go with 2 Chronicles chapters 10 through 12. Some want to go with 2 Kings 25. Uh, they're, they're two different, they're 400 years apart. And so uh, it's, it, it's, it's somewhat interesting to try to look at the context of this psalm with reference to the history around it. But either place you put this psalm, whether you put it in, uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 10 through 12 or 2 Kings chapter 25, the message is exactly the same. And that's what we want to get today. We want to get to the message of this psalm. What can you do when you face distress and discouragement and even devastation? Well, let's look at what Asaph did and let's apply this psalm directly to our life today. I want to suggest four things that we can do in discouraging times. Number one, in discouraging times, encouragement comes through prayer. Encouragement comes through prayer. In verses 1 through 3, we see this. In verse 1, Asaph cries out to God. He says, Oh God, why do you cast us down forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? So you see where Asaph went. The first place he went in his despair, in his discouragement, in his destruction, the first place he went was crying out to God. That was a good thing. Oh God, crying out to God in prayer, in distress, is the right thing to do. It's the best thing you can do. It was a really good thing for him to cry out to God. But then look at his next word. He says, Oh God, why do you cast us down forever? Now I'll guarantee you, if you want to be honest with me, there's not a person in this room, even maybe today, where that question hasn't gone through your mind in the context of a discouragement or some despair. Why? Why is this happening? You've heard me say this before if you've been around here for a while. But when we're praying to God, why is not the best question we could ever ask. It's what Asaph asked, and it's usually what we ask. But there's a better question to ask. Rather than asking why, we should ask what. God, what are you trying to teach us? What are you trying to show us? But just like you and me, Asaph cried out to God. He said, God, why? Why do you cast us off forever? Now understand this. It's okay to ask why. God wasn't mad at Asaph for asking why. God can take it. But when you ask why, just don't expect an answer back. Or don't expect an easy answer back. Uh, You better expect the truth when you ask God why. And Asaph was a worship leader. He knew the truth. He knew why God had withdrawn his presence from his people. But God can take our frustration. And that's what Asaph was doing. He was pouring out his frustration uh, before God. 
So when you feel it, share it. Share it with Him in prayer. It's no problem to share your frustrations with God in prayer. Because encouragement comes through prayer. He said, God, why will you withdraw your presence for us forever? He knew that God was not going to withdraw His presence forever. He knew God. He knew that it was not forever that God was going to withdraw His presence, but it did encourage him to be able to express his frustration. And sometimes that's what prayer is about. It's about conversing with God and expressing to Him, God knows who we are. He knows the real parts of us. So in our times of prayer, feel free to pour out your frustration to God. That's what Asaph did. But in verse 2, Look at what he, where he goes. He says, Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Direct your steps to the perpetual signs. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Again, Asaph is pouring out his frustration to God, but he gets real specific here. He called out to God to remember His covenant. Now, this is really important. Remember your congregation which you purchased of old. Covenant making with God is a big deal. When, when God calls you to be one of His children... The basis, the foundation of that relationship is a covenant agreement. Here's how that works. God said, I want you to live in fellowship with me. I want you to be in relationship with me. I want you to be my child. And I am going out on the hook. God says, I'm going out on the limb. I'm paying the price for you, even though you have broken the covenant with me in life and sinned against me and turned your back on me, God's covenant is based on His love for you in that He poured out His lifeblood. He came to this world, lived as a man, died on the cross, shed His blood. The covenant that you have the opportunity to join in to with God is based on His initiative, His love, His blood. He has paid the price. And He wants to have a relationship with you that desperately to pay that price for you. Now, Asaph knew of the covenant that God had made with Adam and with Noah and with Abraham and with David and ultimately with Jesus. But obviously, Jesus came after Asaph. But he knew that God had paid the price, put himself on the hook for those other covenants. Some were conditional covenants like with uh, Adam and with Abraham. Uh, the covenant that God made with Adam was a covenant like this. It said, Adam, uh, you can have everything that I've created and have benefit to everything I've created. Just don't eat of the fruit of this one tree. That was a conditional covenant that God made with Adam. And Adam broke that covenant. And then God had to reestablish the covenant by making a sacrifice of blood with the animal skin to cover up for the sin of Adam. That's the way God works. 
Some, some covenants with God are conditional. Others are unconditional. The covenant God makes with you and me in Jesus draws us into relationship with Him. Don't miss the opportunity today, if you've never entered into that covenant with God, to receive the gift that He offers of redemption, of buying you back from your sin and making you one of His children. Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Do you understand how important that covenant is that God has established and wants to draw you into today? Celebrate today over whatever might depress you in your life by knowing that God loves you enough to draw you to Himself into a covenant agreement with Him. Understand that God has provided forgiveness for your sin against Him. And this covenant is based on His blood, the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. I remember when God purchased me. I remember when I responded to that purchase and said yes to Him and gave my life to Him, was born again. Do you remember that time in your life? It's a very special memory, a very treasured memory. Asa prays and says, remember, in verse 2, remember Mount Zion where you have dwelt. If you've ever had an experience with God where you've drawn close to His presence, you remember that. And Asaph was remembering the time when he had been on Mount Zion, when he had been the holy place with God, and God's Spirit had dwelt with His Spirit. And he remembered the pain of Israel rebelling against God and God's presence being withdrawn. Is your experience with God like that? Have you once been on the mountaintop with Him, knowing that He set you free from your sin, and you've celebrated that close intimacy with Him, but then kind of drifted away? Don't you long for that presence of God to be restored? That's what Asaph was feeling here. I remember the very first service that we had out here in Socastee. The building was only about a third as big as it is now. And I remember that very first service where we showed up here. We were having three services because the room was so small. And I remember that very first day. Some of you were here. Some of you remember that red carpet we rolled out, you know, from the side of the building out to the parking lot. We rolled out a red carpet and there were ushers out in the parking lot, you know, jumping around and welcoming people. We had music playing out there where people were, were coming. That first day experience here was one I will never forget. And when we live in the presence of God, when we're close to God, when we're walking with Him and He's breathing with us and we're breathing with Him, how sweet is that presence? But then when we drift away from Him, which is probably where most people live most of our lifetime, don't we long for that presence to be restored again? And the restoration comes through prayer, through joining with God, joining our hearts with Him in prayer. Asaph longed for and prayed for God to receive Israel back and receive him back into that wonderful spot, that sweet spot in the holiness of God. 
He knew that God had dwelt on Mount Zion, and he remembered how awesome that relationship was. And he was crying out to God to remember his people because he wanted a renewed experience to be his experience again. Secondly, in discouraging times, encouragement comes through expressing sadness. We see that in verses 4 through 11. God often uses evil enemies to bring judgment on his people when his people rebel and turn against him. And this was a classic case. Asaph referred to these evil people as defiant foes who disregarded everything about God, even his holy places. Look at verse 4. Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their own signs for signs. They were like those who swing axes in the forest of trees. And all its carved wood they broke down with hatchets and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. Now this wasn't just some fairy tale story. Asaph had actually seen God's temple literally destroyed by axes and wild people running through and then burning the temple of God. And he was lamenting about this horror. The enemies that destroyed the sanctuary and defiled the name of God were doing nothing but disrespecting the very name of God. Look at verse 8. They said to themselves, We will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. There's no longer any prophet. There's none among us who knows how long. So when God's name was defamed and the temple was destroyed and burned, it left God's people in discouragement, despair. When you see what's happening around our world today with regard to people knowing and honoring and respect in the name of God. How does that make you feel? It should put you in the same context as Asaph here. Asaph said in the, in the absence of signs from God and a reliable prophetic voice, we're unsure how long this tragedy is going to last. God, show back up. God, do something to show your power against these enemies. These insults against God made the psalmist sad. And so he cried out to God. Not only did he pray to God, but he looked to God for and called on the name of God for encouragement. I know many of you, like many people in the world today, are facing discouraging times like our missionaries in different places around the world whether it's from your disobedience or bad choices that people you love have made, or whether it's just because of whatever. We know that the pain is real. And there's never been a time in history where we need to be crying out to God even more. Look at verse 10. How long, O God, is the foe to scoff, is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. 
Asaph was crying out to God to show up and do something about the desperate and evil people who were creating havoc in the lives of godly people. And so he expressed his sadness as he cried out to God to destroy the enemy. He was sad. And he expressed that sadness to God. Do you ever feel sadness come over your life? Well, express it to God, just like Asaph did. I remember a number of years ago, I preached a funeral for a 28-year-old mom. She had a 5-year-old daughter and a 3-year-old son. And I remember the family asking me to cry out to God in the funeral service for God to bring down his wrath and anger against the people who provided the drugs that took the life of this young mom. One of the saddest days of my life, my ministry. And all I could do in that moment, all I could do was just cry out to God at the request of the family. Pray that God would bring down his judgment upon those who took the life from the mom of these two precious kids. So in discouraging times, share your sadness with God. Thirdly, in discouraging times, encouragement comes through exalting God. So Asaph turned the corner here. In, in verse 12, he, he like does a radical turn. He remembered God's past actions on behalf of his people, and he realized that that God was still in charge. So he broke into this anthem of praise. Look at verse 12. Yet God, my King, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. He begins this, this blasting anthem, which included recalling many acts of God. Look at verse 13. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of the Leviathan. He's calling back to memory what God had done for Israel after uh, they spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt. And then God had called Moses to lead them into the promised land. And so Moses comes up to the edge of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is behind them. And the sea is in front of them. And he said, remember what God did in this time in history. Remember what God did. He divided the sea. He broke the head of the monsters, Pharaoh and his armies that were coming after them. He crushed the head of the Leviathan, the, the picture there in history on caves and rocks that they found uh, archaeology-wise uh, show the sign of alligators. That, these were the soldiers that were coming after Israel. God rolled back the sea and a million Israelites walked across on dry ground. And then God rolled the waters back on the heads of the enemy who were coming after them. So Asaph was saying, remember the mighty hand of God. Remember what God did. In verse 15, you split open the springs and brooks. You dried up the ever-flowing streams. Time after time, when, when Israel crossed the Jordan River, God, again, rolled back the waters. He's calling back 
memories of God where God has blessed them faithfully in the past. He's saying, God, do it again. We remember who you are. We cry out to you through exalting you in worship and, and praise. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. So praise flowed from the heart of Asaph as he remembered God's continuous power over creation. His continuous act of intervening faithfully in the lives of his people to create an environment where they could know him and love him and honor him and worship him. Now today, there are all kinds of monsters like addictions and diseases and financial stresses and violence and boredom and comfort and insecurity and relational conflict and grief over premature death of friends and people that we might know that may be coming after you today as well. And just as Asaph called on the faithfulness of God to remember what God had done for them, I want to challenge you today in whatever distress or discouragement or devastation you may be facing, to look at the faithfulness of God. He's always been faithful. He's always kept His covenant. And dwelling on struggles leads to discouragement. But pointing toward the promises of God and the faithfulness of God lifts us up and encourages us. In 1897, Johnson Oatman was a struggling preacher who was distressed because he couldn't match the kind and style and effectiveness of preaching that his father had modeled for him. He became so discouraged and then in his discouragement, he realized that there was no need for him to live in the pain of his discouragement. And listen to the words that he wrote in 1897. They're so relevant today. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you will keep singing as the days go by. When you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you His wealth untold. Count your many blessings money cannot buy, your reward in heaven nor your home on high. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings. Angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. That's what Asaph did. He looked back at the faithfulness of God and counted his blessings. So today, can you, can you focus on 
exalting God? Can you focus on worshiping Him? Can you focus on counting your blessings? Finally, in discouraging times, encouragement comes through restoration. And this is where the psalm really gets exciting. In verse 18, in the midst of taunts and trials and troubles and threats, God still keeps His covenant with His people. God's going to do His part. Verse 18, remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs and foolish people revile Your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beast. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have regard for the covenant. For the dark places of the land are full of the inhabitants of your violence. So it may appear that this world is nothing but evil. That bad is going to win. But no matter how desperate things get, how devastated you may feel. Focus on the covenant of God. He will be faithful to support those who put their trust and put their faith in Him. Praise God for the covenant with His people. Remember that restoration is coming. Yes, there is an enemy set on destroying you. Destroying God's people. Destroying everything godly. That's not the end of the story. Some of you were around the first part of this year up until two weeks ago when we worked through the book of Mark. The 15th chapter of the book of Mark is very interesting because one of the best friends that Jesus had who walked with him for three years, who tried to stand up for him, even cut off the ear of an enemy who was coming after Jesus to take him away and lead him to the cross. Denied Jesus. Cursed. Even denied that he knew Jesus. But thank God that was not the end of the story. After Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he came back to Simon Peter and he he restored Simon Peter and the ministry that Simon Peter was going to have. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, I want you to listen to the words beginning with verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Now this was after he had failed Jesus. After he had cursed and denied that he even knew Jesus. And with arms open wide, Jesus drew him back to himself and restored him. And set him free to accomplish one of the greatest ministries that's ever happened short of Jesus on earth. Listen to what Peter writes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy. You know what mercy is? It's when God gives you better than what you deserve. It's when God sets you free rather than condemning you for your sin. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice." 
Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you sense and feel the restoration power in the life of Simon Peter when he realized the mercy of God to forgive him for every sin that he had committed, even the sin of cursing and saying that he didn't even know Jesus Christ? So let me ask you today, in discouraging times, and maybe even devastating times that we live. Are we willing to receive the restoration that God has in store for us through offering us salvation from every sin that we've ever committed through His own blood, through the blood of Jesus Christ, who can be our Lord and our Savior? God is a God of restoration and we can be encouraged by that today. So I want us to remember three things as we apply this passage, this psalm to our life. What an encouraging time we live. Number one, realize that loss and devastation are real. You know that. You know when you have a loss, you feel it, and it hurts. And it causes you to ask maybe, where's God? So mourn the loss and the devastation. We have, a, we have a process in this church called Grief Share. If you've never been a part of Grief Share, I want to invite you and encourage you. This coming September the 7th, in a few weeks, on Tuesday nights for a number of, of a couple of months. Grief Share is a process where you're able to share your grief with one another. Have you ever considered that, that your pain is not wasted when you share it with somebody else? And some of you have a wealth to share with other people. And I encourage you to get involved in a process like Grief Share because the best thing I can think of for your life is that, that you would share your life in Christ and the strength that you have in Christ with someone else who is struggling. I talked to a guy this week who was grieving so over the loss of his wife that he didn't even want to live. And that's real. And he needs somebody to reach out. And hold him by the hand until he works through that grief process. So realize that loss and devastation are real. But then remember God's faithfulness. God is faithful. And sometimes he is faithful by working through other people to draw you to himself. So if you've received grace and mercy from God to set you free from your sin then you know how faithful God is. And some of you today need to realize that faithfulness for the first time. 
It's always good to remember the faithfulness of God. There have been times in my life where I felt abandoned by everyone around me almost. And I felt miserable. I remember calling a counselor friend one time and telling him that I was in a crisis. And he said, well, are you at the emergency room? And I said, no. He said, are you bleeding? I said, no. And he said, well, it sounds to me like you have an opportunity, not a crisis. And that's true for all of us. God was and is and always will be faithful. So trust Him. And finally, receive the help that comes from God. Because when you call on God to help, expect Him to rise up on your behalf, come alongside of you, and pull you up out of the miry clay into His loving arms. As one of Israel's primary worship leaders, Asaph expressed agony over the destruction of God's sanctuary. It hurt. It was real. So he did the right thing. He cried out to God. I trust you'll join me today in receiving the encouragement that comes by crying out to God. Father, thank you that even in the most desperate and discouraging times in life, that you have promised for the believer that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, you will never abandon us, that because of the covenant that you drew with us through your own blood, through the blood of Jesus, your arms are open wide to welcome us when we admit that we're a sinner and are separated from you and believe that you did die for our sin and then repent of our sin and commit our life to you. And I pray, God, that that's the position that we will celebrate in today, that we will, in, we will receive the encouragement that you have for us as you draw us to yourself today. Thank you for that kind of love that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and continue to worship.